Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. In our midst. We're going to open up our Bibles tonight to book of Galatians chapter 5. If you would join me there in the word of God, Galatians chapter 5. Now, I have to uh, share with you uh, that there has been some things moving behind the scenes, and uh, uh, that, uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but uh, there has been some, uh, some things happening uh, with some certain people, and I don't want to go into details tonight, but there, there's a reason why this message is being preached. And um, I want to ask you to join me tonight. And open up your heart and hear what the Word of God has to say to us. So Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read a couple of verses there. I want to begin by showing you uh, this photo up on the screen tonight. This is a photo of a bridge. It is one of the highest suspension bridges in all the world. It is called Royal Gorge Bridge in the state of Colorado. They have uh, measured the distance from the railing of that bridge down all the way to the river that is flowing beneath it. Uh, Would you be surprised to find out that there are more than a thousand feet of air uh, between that bridge and the water down below? Now, somebody must have had a sense of humor when they built this thing uh, because Uh, somebody put an interesting sign exactly halfway down the middle of this bridge, and here's what the sign says. No fishing from the bridge. (laughs) So something that you would think is uh, pretty obvious, even if you wanted to go fishing off of this bridge, and yet there is a sign. And, you know, uh, my first thought was, Uh, There wouldn't be a sign there unless some idiot had tried it, right? But um, (laughs) this is the definition of an unnecessary law. This is the definition of a restriction that really doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, Even if you wanted to go fishing, you certainly would not ever choose that point on top of that bridge, you can go back to the wide shot, of the Royal Gorge Bridge in Colorado. In the scripture we're about to read tonight, I want to bring you a reminder that there are some laws that served a great purpose in the Word of God. I'm speaking specifically of the Levitical and the Mosaic laws that were given to Moses for a purpose of governing the nation of Israel as they were wandering in the desert and as they were beginning to be established 
as a nation. And the, the reason is tonight because there are forces in the world today, and I'm going to talk about a few of them. There are some movements in the Christian community that are, uh, that are beginning to make a movement toward depending on those laws once again. This is a common pattern throughout the history of the church that there have been movements that pop up over time. There are winds of doctrines that arise in every generation. And that is because there is a certain gravity towards works-based religion. In the faith, there are basically two ways of getting to God. There is religion and there is relationship. Religion is man's attempt to get close to God. Religion is the things that we do. It's the practices, it's the services, it's the sacrifices that we make. And religion by itself is not an evil thing. But just know that religion is man's attempt to follow the laws. How many have figured out by now that your religion is not good enough? It is not good enough to get you close enough to the God who wants to save us. Christianity is a much different type of system. It's a different way of getting close to God. And what it, what it really is, it's distinct from religion because Christ came, he died on the cross, he fulfilled the law so that we could have more than just religion. So that we could have a relationship with the Father. He came to bring us close. He came so that we could have life and liberty. And what that means for us tonight is that having a relationship with God through Christ is a far better covenant. It means, it doesn't mean that the laws of Moses and the Levitical laws of the Old Testament, it does not mean that we should completely forget them, but we should understand that they had a purpose in their time and that we should not be falling into the gravity of works-based religion once again, I'm going to preach this message that I've titled Purpose of Liberty in Christ. And I want you to join me in Galatians chapter 5 so that we do not fall into this trap, that we do not uh, uh, become embroiled or tangled in the gravity of works-based religion once again. God intends for us to have liberty. Can you say amen? Let's read this scripture tonight. And I want you to have an open heart as we move through this tonight. This is what it says, Galatians 5, beginning with verse 13. For you, brethren, you have been called to liberty. Everybody say liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware 
lest you be consumed by one another. A message, again, I titled, Purpose of Liberty in Christ. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus, seeking, Lord, your wisdom and your strength. God, you are a God able to bring revelation and understanding. Help us tonight to break free from the gravity of works-based religion, which tends to pull us down back to, uh, back to our dependence on our own self, on our own revelation, on our own activity. But God, help us to break free from that gravity tonight by the blood of Jesus that we can live according to your new covenant in your blood, a new life with new purpose and new relationship with you. God, we pray for your wisdom and understanding tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say, Amen. So tonight, I want to talk firstly with you about the calling. God has given us all a calling that we are responding to. How many of you have got a phone call today? <laughs> Maybe a spam call. Uh, they're multiplying, right? And the phone rings and you look at it and you say, who is that? I don't want to pick it up. Well, in a very similar way, the Bible describes the way that God approaches humanity as a call. And in much the same way, God puts a call out to all of you and I, all of His creation. He calls out and He brings an invitation to come and know Him. So God is one who makes a call and that call goes out to every generation. Can you say amen? That call is not specific to one type of people or one skin color. That call that God puts out is to every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived. The call of God is to know Him through relationship in Jesus Christ. Now, just because God makes the call does not mean that everyone picks up the phone. All are called, Jesus. Many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Why is that? Why is it that the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross was enough to pay for every sin of every human being from Adam until the very last human being who's born uh, in the future, his blood was enough to pay the price for every sin, right? And yet, the blood of Jesus is not applied to every person. There are still people who will pay the price for their own sins by being separated from God for all eternity. And that is because even though God calls everyone to salvation, He calls everyone to repentance, and yet there are many, the Bible says, the road is wide and many will there be who choose the road to destruction. In other words, the phone rings. There's good news on the other end of that phone call. But there are, will be many who do not pick up that phone. Or even if they know the gospel, even if they do receive the phone call and say, hey, this is God, I have salvation for you, there will be many Turn the phone back off. And this is why we pray for unsaved people in every service, isn't it? 
This is why we pray for people that we love and care about, because we understand that the call of God is going out to people that we love, and we don't want them to end up in hell, right? And we understand we care about them. We want them to pick up the phone and receive what God has for them. That calling has gone out to every generation. And it was not only the calling that began at the cross of Jesus, but even in the Old Testament, before the cross occurred, before the life of Jesus on earth, there was still a calling that went out to the nations, and specifically to God's nation, the Jews. Now we know as you study the Bible that the Jews were called to be a special people before God. That He chose them. He chose Abraham. Why? We don't exactly know all the reasons why that God selected Abraham to communicate with above everybody else. But we do know that Abraham believed God. That when God called, he picked up the phone and said, Yes, Lord. Yes, I will obey. I will believe. And that faith, the Bible says later on in the New Testament, that that faith is accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, it wasn't that Abraham was better than everybody else, that he was smarter than everybody else, that he was better looking than everybody else, that he was the right color and everybody else was the wrong color. The thing about Abraham is simply that he picked up the phone and answered the call. And when he believed, God says, now I'm going to take this righteousness that belongs to me, it doesn't belong to you, and I'm going to put it in your account. Did you ever get... One of those uh, in Monopoly, the little card you pick up and it says, Bank error in your favor, collect $150. See, that's what righteousness is. Because the truth is, there's nobody here who is righteous in themselves. <laughs> Have you tried? Have you tried obeying the law? It doesn't work out very well, does it? And even Abraham, the father of our faith, he did not have a whole lot of righteousness that he could call his own. In fact, the Bible says that we are all broken and sinful people, doesn't it? It says that even the most righteous thing that we can accomplish in life, even our, uh, even our best deeds is like filthy rags before God. He says, I don't want any part of that. But see, something amazing happens when we enter into this relationship. When we enter into a relationship by faith. And trusting in God that God says there was a bank error in your favor. The righteousness that belongs to me now is accounted into your life. That's what salvation is, isn't it? You didn't deserve salvation. You didn't deserve what Christ did for you. There was nothing you could do to deserve that, right? And yet because you believed, you made a decision by faith and said, Lord, I'm trusting you to, that, that your word is true, that when I cry out and turn from my sins, that you're going to save me. That is not based on something that you do. Faith is not a work. No, faith is the gift of God. And when you trust, God takes his salvation. The call is made into your life. You pick up the phone and God does an incredible thing. Am I still preaching the gospel here tonight? The problem with all of this that I've been talking about tonight is that there is an alternative way in many people's minds and in many religious movements around the world 
there is a there is the alternative to gaining favor with God. The gospel that is taught in this book says that the only way to gain God's favor is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't get it any other way. You can't. Uh, now you could gain my favor if you put a hundred dollar bill in my hand. I would be happy with your life. But how many understand uh, that means nothing to God? You put a hundred dollar bill in the offering plate. Hey, that's that's nice for the church. Guess what? God owns everything. He's the creator. He can create a million dollars out of nothing. It means nothing. The only way to gain God's favor is by grace, through faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are many, many people in the world today, and even many people claiming to be Christians, who say that it is possible to gain God's favor in other ways. And the way that we categorize this tonight, we call it works-based religion. In the New Testament, the language is a yoke of bondage. A yoke of bondage. When Jesus came on the scene, he was dealing with a strand of works-based religion. We know them as the Pharisees, right? Now, Jesus spent a whole lot of time dealing with people in the gospel accounts. You read those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was exposed to many, many different kinds of people, right? In the, in the manger, Jesus had an encounter with wise men from the east. Uh, we know that he had an encounter with the scribes uh, in, in the synagogue as he was teaching them at a very young age, and they were amazed at him. We know that when he entered ministry, he had encounters with all manner of people. He called people into the ministry, uh, people, fishermen like Peter and Andrew, a tax collector like Matthew, uh, Bartholomew. Many of these were young men looking for direction in life. But not only that, he had exposure to the less desirable people. Right? That, that people were drawn to him because of his teachings, because of what he stood for, that even the, the, the non-polite society, they would flock to him. People like uh, prostitutes and sinners. And, uh, and so he, he had exposure even to kings, uh, that when he was going to the cross, he was before Pontius Pilate, he was before Herod. A lot of people that Jesus had encounters with, right? But who? Did Jesus reserve his greatest rebukes for? The Bible calls them the scribes and the Pharisees. And the reason that Jesus called them a brood of vipers, the reason that he called them sons of the devil, was because, not because of the clothes they wore or their uh, their. Uh, their lineage or their place in life. The reason was because of what we're talking about tonight. Because they had works-based religion. They have formulated all of these um, ways that the Jewish people could get closer to God. It was built mostly upon the Levitical law that God had given to Moses and also had added upon it Many man, many man's traditions, and they would add, and they would take away, and they would say, you know, th things like, uh, you know, if you wake up in the morning, the, Jesus had this criticism of the Pharisees. 
that they would wake up in the morning, they'd open their door, and maybe a little, a little plant had sprouted up from in between the bricks on their front walkway. And they were, they were so careful to follow these man-made laws that they would bend down on the ground and break off a tenth of that little piece of plant, and they say, okay, this belongs to the Lord. And they'd be so careful to follow the, the law of the tithe, but the problem was that even though they were careful to follow those letters of the law, that their hearts were far from God. He said, you are so careful to follow the tithe and the laws of the Sabbath, and you're so careful to... Uh, to and they would pronounce, and the way that they would pray is they would go out on the street corner and they would pray with uh, King James English and make sure that everybody uh, knew how, how wonderful their, you know, their, their speech was. And they would dress up, and, they, and when they would begin to fast, you know, they would make sure to, to not wash their face that morning so everybody would know that they're fasting today. And, and, and Jesus looked at them and he said, you're like whitewashed tombstones. What does that mean? It means they're beautiful on the outside, polished and clean. Everything looks good from the outside. But you open up, what do you find? Death. You find dead men's bones. He said, that's you, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because they were putting their trust in works-based religion. This is the yoke of bondage. And all the years of the, of the, the re religious, of the Jews, all of those years, all of the, the good things that were uh, planted in the laws, everything that it pointed forward to, and that was the culmination of it. Jesus says, you have your reward. If all you want to do is just impress people with your religion, guess what? You've succeeded. But I tell you, God was not impressed. And Jesus reserved his greatest rebukes for those people. And can I tell you why? Because it wasn't because Jesus hated the Pharisees. But it was because he loved them. That he began to tell them the truth. The greatest rebukes are reserved for those you care about most. This is why we don't spank other people's kids. The proof that your kids are yours is that you correct them. That's the proof that you care about them. In fact, in Proverbs it says that if you spare the rod, you hate your child. But God, because he is a merciful God, because he cares about his people, because Jesus cared about the Pharisees and wanted them to repent, he reserved his greatest rebukes for them. And when one of those Pharisees came and found him in the middle of the night, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he did not send him away. He didn't treat him spitefully. But he dealt with him and told him, uh, listen, Nicodemus, all of the things that you're doing, they're great things, but they're not going to get you closer to God. You must be born again. Am I making sense to anybody tonight? This is the difference between a relationship with the Lord versus the works-based religion which always pulls us down. Our scripture says this in Galatians 5, verse 1. It says, stand fast. Everybody say, stand fast. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us 
free. And do not be entangled. Say entangled. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What does that mean? It means before you were saved, before you trusted in Christ, you were entangled. Have you ever gotten entangled? Have you ever got, ever got tripped up? What sin does, sin has the power to entangle us. It has the power to wrap us up. Get the picture of handcuffs, right? Some of y'all might have the the pleasure of being handcuffed before. It's not a pleasurable experience, but that's what it means to be entangled. You are losing freedom. You are losing the ability to do the things you want to do. That's what sin does. But that's not the only thing that entangles us. Also, the yoke of bondage of works-based religion serves to entangle God's people. In other words, if you ever find yourself in the place where you think that just by your actions, just by your decisions in life that because you say you're a better person than that guy over there, God is pleased with that. Many times what's happening is you are being entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Our scripture says in verse 13, you brethren, you have been called to liberty. This is extremely important because whether we realize it or not, Every church and every believer has the capacity to slip back into a works-based religion. You have the ability as a believer to, to begin to miss out on the relationship with God. And that's always when it happens. See, when there is distance between you and God, when there is, when there is some daylight between what God believes and what you believe, See, what we do is we try to make up for it with our activities. And we begin to depend, well, no, I'm still right with God. Why? Because I go to church all the time. No, 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 no. See, Pastor, you don't need to deal with me. Why? Because I still have a habit of reading my Bible. Or because, you know, uh, isn't it obvious uh, that I've learned all of these things and I've memorized all these scriptures? And we make an appeal to the things that we do rather than the one that we know. This is the evidence that we can slip into a works-based religion and we can once again become entangled in a yoke of bondage. There are movements in the world today. The Catholic, Roman Catholic Church is one of them. That says, oh, you know, if you want to be forgiven, you have to do a hundred Hail Marys. Or you have to uh, pray the rosary. Or like Martin Luther in that movie, you you have to crawl up the steps 15 times. And if you do those things, well, then you'll get right with God. Now, I'm not here to advocate tonight that, uh, that there's no such thing as good works. Of course there are good works. Of course God expects us to do good things. But those good things are a result of a life that is changed. It is not the reason why God is pleased with us. See, the way it works is that God makes the phone call 
you pick it up and say, God, I repent. I turn from my sins. And based on your faith, God accounts righteousness to you. And when you become righteous, then that produces good works in your life. And if you ever get that order mixed up, then you are dangerously on the precipice of heresy. When you begin to say, uh, uh, God has to be impressed with me because of my track record of Christian religion. All of a sudden, God becomes your servant. And God owes me. And by the way, I'm a lot better than all these other people and all these other churches over there because look at all the things that I'm doing. Whitewashed tombstones. And the price that we pay is in the relationship that we miss out on with God. It's kind of like a marriage. Have you ever seen somebody, maybe a mom and a dad, and they, uh, they're fighting all the time, and the only reason they're still together is because the kids are still in school. Kids are still in the house. And if the kids were not part of the picture, you know what? Those people, they wouldn't even want to be with each other. And so it's, it's very common, unfortunately, to see that families, as soon as the kids leave for college or get married or go off and move out of the house, that you'll see those, those uh, empty nesters. They look at each other and they say, who are you? I never knew you. Depart from me. And because they've lost relationship with each other, they grow separate. And the only thing that was holding them together was the children. Listen, married couples, you better be careful to maintain your relationship. Because what can happen is that only the shell of the outer works can be left. Yeah, somebody's paying the bills. Somebody's, uh, you know, washing the dishes. Somebody's doing the housework. Somebody is, is making sure that, you know, things are happening, that the kids are going to school. So, so all, of the, all of the trappings of married life and, and, a, a, and a marriage are, are in place, except for that relationship. See, this is what can happen between you and God, isn't it? You can have all of the pieces surrounding. You can still have your church attendance. You can still wear your tie. You can still know how to put on a good show. You can still, if I call on you, you're going to close in prayer. You can still, uh, uh, in Jesus' name, God, help us to live according. You can still do all the forms and fashions. But when you lose the relationship, this is why Jesus rebuked the churches in Revelation. He rebuked them because he says, I know your works. I know all of the nice things that you're doing. Remember, we did a, a whole series on the churches of Revelation. He said, yeah, you guys, are, you guys are hitting it. You got all of these things that are going well. This is good. That is good. But I have this against you. You left your first love. With all of the actions that you are taking, with all of the, the form and the function that is there, but you missed the relationship. You've fallen again, into a yoke of bondage, you've become entangled again. I tell you tonight that God has called us to liberty. Everybody say liberty. There is a difference tonight, I'm going to talk about it, the difference between liberty and being libertine. There is a big difference. What does it mean to have liberty? Liberty does not mean that Christ has called us to just do whatever we want to do. That's called libertinism. 
That is the belief that there is no consequence for my actions. There are some Christians who throw caution to the wind and say, well, Christ has given me liberty, so I can, I can just do whatever I want. That is not the liberty that Christ gave you. That is, being called, that is called being libertine, and that is wicked. That will send you to hell. But Christ has called us to liberty. What liberty means tonight is that God sets us free from our sins. He sets us free from the bondage of religion so that we can do something greater. He enables us and empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own, and that is the will of God. Did you know God has a will for your life? God has a purpose for you. He created you with purpose and intention, and he created you to do something for his kingdom, just as there is no part of your body that is a vestibule. In other words, that there's no part of your body that doesn't have a function and a purpose, right? Every part of you, there's a purpose, there's a reason. Some purposes are, are very good. Other purposes are a little embarrassing, right? Parts of you that we don't want to talk about in church. But they still have a purpose. Every part of you, from your fingernails to the end of your nose, to your elbows, to your armpits, everything has a purpose. In the body of Christ, it is still the same. You have a purpose. God created you with intention. And the only way you can achieve your purpose is when you have this liberty that we're talking about. Listen to what Romans says, Romans 8, verse 7 and 8. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It means it's God's enemy. Your natural mind, your fleshy mind, the mind that you understand, the, the things that you know how to do in life, that is God's enemy, and that's what he's going to judge. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did it say that they will not please God? No. It said that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And indeed, when you live in the flesh, you won't want to please God. You will have no desire. You know why? Because those who are in the flesh have no relationship with their Father. But when you have relationship, the thing that God will change in you is the desire to do the will of your Father. I want to do what's right. Why? Because I'm not living according to the flesh. See, that's what liberty is. And this is why Paul warns us in this scripture, verse 13, he says, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for your flesh. It is very easy to twist the freedoms that we've been given and use them for selfish, carnal purposes. This is the person who says, oh, you know what? Uh, uh, God will forgive me anyway, so I can sin however I want to. Yeah, I can look at pornography. That's not a big deal. You know why? Because I'll feel bad, and then God will forgive me. That's wickedness. And God will judge that. If we use God's forgiveness and the liberty which He has given us, if we use it as an excuse for sin... We become worse than what we were before. The Roman Catholic Church, when you look back in history, there was a time that they would sell indulgences. 
Did you ever hear about that? In the time of Martin Luther, they had little slips of paper that was produced by the uh, local priests. And there was, uh, there was uh, people who would go around to the various street corners and city centers, and they would have a stack of these papers, and they called them indulgences. Because they were, they were trying to fight a war. This is, you know, during the, uh, the Dark Ages when they were, uh, it was the, uh, uh, what was those wars, the, the holy wars that they were waging against, you know, the, the Crusades. Thank you. And so they were running out of money. The Pope was running out of money. So he said, you know, we, we got we to gotta get some more money coming in to the Catholic Church. So let's print up all of these uh, uh, flyers. We'll call them indulgences. And what it means is, you pay $10 for this piece of paper, it means that you can go and do a sin without any guilt. That really happened. And when you're done with your sin, you can bring the paper back to us and we'll forgive you, no problem. Just like that. Guess what? They sold like hotcakes. No, no surprise there, right? People willing to pay if I can sin with the blessing of my priest. That's the wrong kind of liberty. And by the way, that was before people had Bibles in their hands. There are those who cross over. Have you ever seen those Christian artists who have a, a measure of success, uh, maybe a rock star or a, a hip-hop uh, artist, and you know they get, they get a, a few albums out there in the world and, and uh, figure out that they can... They can impress some crowds, and then all of a sudden, I'm not a Christian artist anymore. I'm just a hip-hop artist who is, happens to be Christian. They sell out. They've twisted the freedom. There are those who use their liberty to do wickedness. It's the thought of how close can I get to the fires of hell without actually falling in. There are church kids who balance their lives. How close can I get to the edge without falling in? You know, it's not a good way to live your life. If you're going to go for a walk, don't go for a walk on the edge of the Grand Canyon. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a good chance somewhere along the way a rock will slip, you'll lose your footing, and you'll die. This is why God says we should have some barriers in our lives, some holiness. We should have some guardrails between us and wickedness. We should have some convictions. We should have some places in our life, not because we think those convictions will save us, but because that's how we remain free. 1 Peter 2.16, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but we become bondservants of God. Jude 1.4, Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. This is the warning tonight. The warning is that when we begin to fall in this gravity of works-based religion, what it always causes is infighting. Because what it becomes is a competition. And we see this in the New Testament. 
you know, we have these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, why do we have these two groups? Because they were at war with each other about who had the better doctrine, about who was the better Jew. Oh, it's us. It's the Pharisees, obviously. And the Sadducees would say, no, 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 it's us because we got this other doctrine. This is what our scripture said. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. In the Cold War in the United States, there was only one thing that kept us from firing missiles. You know what it was? They called it mutually assured destruction. Did you ever hear about that? Because of both the Americans and the Russians, we had a detection, the ability to detect if the missiles were launched. The reason that the missiles never got launched, there was plenty of reasons to launch the missiles. There's plenty of hatred on both sides, right? There is plenty of, of aggression that happened. But, you know, we never pushed the button. Why? Because we knew if we launched the missiles, that it would only be a matter of minutes before there was another set of missiles coming back at us. There was a mutually assured destruction. In other words, we are not going to launch these missiles because if we do, we will be destroyed by it also. Can I tell you, there is mutually assured destruction in the kingdom, too. This is why when we tumble back into works-based religion, what happens is we begin to go to war with the very people that God has called us to work together with. And as we're going to war with one another over doctrines and beliefs, and guess what? We're not evangelizing. Many marriages, many families, many churches look like that. Missiles flying and everybody's dying. When we start infighting, when we start biting one another, as Paul says here in the scripture, he says the danger is that we would be consumed. Whenever I take a new believer out on an outreach, one of my favorite things in the whole world, by the way, I take a new believer with me out on an outreach. I always give them this advice. We're not here to get in an argument. We're not here to have a religious debate with somebody. We're not here to engage with the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormon missionaries. We're here to speak the gospel to sinners. And if you encounter somebody else and wants to engage in a fight with you, say thank you, you're probably right, and talk to the next person. Don't waste the time because we can, we have much better things to do. Can you say amen? So let's close with the warning. Let's close rather with the serving. What is the purpose of our liberty? What is the reason why God sets us free? It's in our scripture, verse 13, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the whole reason why God wants to set you free, so that you can be in service to somebody else. Listen to the, the, the scriptures, John 13, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and your, your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Let me tell you this right here. People in works-based religion don't wash feet. People who depend on their own righteousness, they don't wash feet. 
No, 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 no. That is for somebody else. Matthew 23, 11, He who is greatest among you shall be what? Your servant. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. The question is, who are you serving? See, this is the real mark. This is the real measure of our spirituality, isn't it? It's the real determining factor of, is God moving in your life? Who are you serving? Who is God using your life to improve? See, greatness in the kingdom of God is not by all the things you achieve. It's not by all the actions and activities that you do. Greatness in the kingdom is your willingness to serve the needs of others without complaint, without request, and without excuse. This is all the law. Did you hear that? All the law is fulfilled in one word. What is that word? Loving your brothers. It's a powerful question that we can all ask ourselves tonight. Lord, how can I serve you? The way that the Lord asks us to serve him is by serving others. That's the measure. And so if I find someone who has all manner of great uh, proclamations and I find somebody who is pronouncing all amazing doctrines, I say, who are you serving? Who does your life affect for God? That's the real measure, isn't it? How many disciples have you made? Don't tell me about how religious you are. How many people are going to heaven because of you? That really separates people out, right? Now just think, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had it all together on the outside. They had all the right garments. They had all the right activities. They were breaking off little branches of the little plant that grew up in the middle. They had all of that together. But guess what? They, when they would go off and become missionaries, Jesus said they create disciples that are even worse than they are. They were sending more people to hell than heaven. The measure tonight of true religion, the measure of true spirituality is not how many things have you done. It's how many people have been affected by God through your life. Compare that to Jesus. How many people have been affected by Jesus? He is still the central figure of all history. He is still the one who you pray to. And your life is eternally changed, right? That for 2,000 years, he has been affecting people's lives. Not because he had everything together on the outside. In fact, he said, I don't even have a place to lay my head at night. But Jesus affected the whole world. Listen, you and I, we can, we can choose these two paths. And oftentimes we, we fall back again into this gravity, this yoke of bondage, of works-based religion. But I want to urge you tonight. I want to challenge you. To maintain your relationship with God. Anything good that you have from God comes from that relationship. Our works, not so much. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? 
please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Thank you.